was telling someone earlier, you know, I, it's quite an honor and a privilege to stand behind this pulpit, and I, and I don't take that lightly. And um, I truly believe the Lord has a message tonight for the church, and uh, I want to be obedient to that. Um, what a powerful message this morning from our pastor. That was a, just a great message. So I give honor to him, and uh, if you have your Bibles, and you will turn to uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 97, I'm going to read the first two verses. When you're there, say amen. All right, Psalm 97, verse 1 and 2. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And then if you would turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 11 through 12. It says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And tonight I want to speak to you from this topic, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. So if you would uh, set your Bibles down and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence in here again. God, we welcome you. Lord, we just ask, God, that you would have your way tonight, God. We just want to step out of the way and be on your agenda. God, the word that goes forth that you have for the church, let it bless us tonight, God. In your mighty name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when... Uh, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on April 14, 1865. The American people were stunned by this tragedy. The Civil War had just ended and the deep wounds of battle were still fresh, both physically and emotionally. About 600 and, get this now, 620,000 people died in the war between the states. 360,000 Union soldiers, 280,000 Southern troops. And although the war had ended, there were those that would not give up the cause so easily. Shortly after 10 p.m. on April 14th, John Wilkes Booth, a Southern sympathizer, entered the presidential box at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. and fatally shot President Abraham Lincoln. And at Lincoln's funeral in Washington, D.C., it was a young preacher turned congressman named James Garfield that stepped to the podium with the opening remarks. 
and a stunned crowd, many still mourning the loss of the fallen, watched as Garfield spoke with a strong, clear voice. Marked with passion and conviction, he began quoting the opening lines of Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. In the middle of a national tragedy, as the nation reeled in shock, this country preacher declared that God still reigns. He is still in charge. In the face of adversity, in a time when the future is uncertain, when it seems as if the very hand of evil has reached out and shaken the world, there is comfort in the fact that God still reigns. I want to remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, that our God is still on the throne. God still reigns. He is still the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the whole earth is filled with His glory. I want to encourage someone tonight to lift up their eyes to the hill. Recognize the one who sits on the throne. The heavens are His throne. And the earth is His footstool. He is in charge of it all, on top of it all, in command of it all. Nations rise and fall at His command. He raises up rulers both good and bad, to serve his purpose. Nations march in lockstep to the word and promise of God. International affairs unfold to the word that God brings. He governs it all. Can I tell you that he's Lord in your good times and Lord in your bad times? He is Lord of your past and Lord of your future. He is Lord of your health and Lord of your sickness. And though the sun may cease to shine, Though stars fall from heaven, though the earth descends into chaos, one thing will never change. I'll call him back. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. History has a funny way of repeating itself. In 1861, the issues of the day deeply divided our country and eventually launched us into civil war. Today, in 2023, we face a different set of issues. Issues that tear at the moral fabric of our society. A recent Gallup poll said that 54% of Americans say the state of moral values in the U.S. is poor. 83% think U.S. moral values are getting worse. And what's even more alarming is the desensitization of people today, especially our young people. Brothers and sisters, we are at war with an enemy. An enemy that is stealing the souls of mankind. And it's just going right by and people are just not even batting an eye. I, I remember years ago, I know I look 42, but Back in 1978, I was a junior in high school, and I remember um, a young lady who I had graduated eighth grade with. We went to a private Catholic school. We had a graduating class of 15 people. It's huge. And uh, 
I remember this girl, and it was my junior year, and we were at the same high school, and she walked in to the classroom, second semester, and I could instantly tell that she was pregnant. Now, in 1978, that was like putting on a scarlet A. You didn't talk about it. You didn't even bring it up with her. A junior in high school, pregnant. And I just, like nobody talked about it. It was hush, hush, hush. It was, those of you that are close to my age, do, do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And yet a month ago, I had a family come in. They come to our place all the time. Husband, wife, and their son, they come all the time. Every time we have a new room, they come. And the place was full in the lobby, and they walked in for a mission. And it was the father, the mother, and he was now a she. And I just didn't know what to say at first, you know, because I'd seen this guy for the past seven years. And now it's, and I said, hey, how are you guys doing? And uh, dad was like, I'm doing great. All these people are in there. They're just doing their thing. And, and I said, uh, Ben, how are you? He says, my name's not Ben anymore. It's Heidi. And I, okay, cool. And he straight up, I've detransitioned, or, or I've transitioned. The amazing part about that is all the young people in there turned, looked, and then just went right back to what they were doing, like it was nothing. And I think of what's happening to our society today. Come on now. You hear it every day. The moral fabric of our society is literally falling apart. We are at war. We are seriously at war. And we have to know that. We have to understand that. Men are marrying men. Women are transitioning to become men. Our children are being groomed in kindergarten to some of this filth. Had you told me in 1978 we would be at this point today, I would have said you're crazy. It'll never happen, not in a million years. The difference between the Civil War and our war today is that the Civil War started in 1861 and ended in 1865. It was a physical war. Our war started in Genesis 3, and it will continue until Jesus' return. Our war is a spiritual war. And with that fact established, the question remains to us, how do we as children of God handle ourselves during controversial times? How do we conduct ourselves when we know the Lord reigns, but it seems like everything else around us is spiraling out of control. And to answer that question, we look at what Paul's instructions were to Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy in a time of controversy. The controversy is different in his day than it is in ours, but the instructions that Paul gives are timeless. They are for all time. They are for us. He says in 1 Timothy 6, Verse 11, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul gives Timothy four commands that every Christian in every generation needs to hear and follow. They're summarized this way. Flee, follow, fight, and fasten a hold of. And I just want to touch on all four of these tonight real briefly. First, Paul says, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee, in the Greek, is fuge. Fuge. Of a fun word. We get the English word fugitive from the root word fuge. And it literally means to seek safety by flight. Now, when you get into different languages and whatever, and you're, you're looking at words, they, they, the word on the outset just looks like flee. But the actual, in the Greek, behind it, there's a, like flee is like flee. Get out. I have an analogy. So I have this hand grenade. So, if there's no pin in it, Ernie's got sweat coming down his forehead all of a sudden. Um, so, if I say there were a pin and I were to toss this out, I won't because it's pretty heavy, but I were to toss it out, are you guys casually just strolling out of here? I get to see Brother Holdman just sprint right out of here like there's no tomorrow. You're going to be running over people, right? I was going to toss this out, but I'm afraid I'll, yeah, no, Don, I'm not throwing it that far. I'll put it right through the glass. Um, so I throw this out there, and everybody just bolts. That's the idea of flee. That's the idea behind what Paul is saying, to flee. I didn't bring a hanky, so wait. Um, that's exactly what he's telling Timothy right now. Flee, run, get away from it. Go as far away as you can. He says, flee these things. Paul identifies some of these things in Scripture, especially in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10 and 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Idolatry isn't necessarily golden calves in your home. I remember a long time ago when I first got into AA and my sponsor would tell me, he said, you're in recovery now. You don't go into bars. You don't go into bars anymore because you made that thing an idol in your life. That thing had a hold of you. You were worshiping that thing. You couldn't get away from that thing. It was only by the grace of God 
that he pulled you out of that place. Drugs. It's not just the statues. Paul is saying flee idolatry. Flee those things that you struggle with. Don't go near them. Does that make sense? We live in a sensual, idolatrous, money-loving, lustful society. And the devil will use every device at his disposal to sabotage your walk with God. Amen? He's not telling Timothy he can't have an opinion on the controversy of the day. But he is telling him not to let it define him. That's important. He's not saying to turn your head and pretend it doesn't exist, but he is saying don't get so caught up in the arguments and quarrels that you lose sight of your overall purpose in life. I don't go much out on Facebook anymore, um, but I do remember way back, I mean, there were, there's people out there that get so involved in a topic, they're so passionate that they kind of lose their Christianity. They kind of lose, right, their witness. Paul's saying, don't, don't engage in that. Don't, don't be a part of any of that. Step back and remember what your true purpose is. We say things in love. Right? We love mercy. We have to understand where that other person is in their life. We can't just open up like, I don't know, some kind of machine gun. I don't know all the names of them. But you can't do that. Because sooner or later, that will define you. It will define you. We can be passionate about a lot of things in this life, but none of those things rises to the level of the high calling of Christ in our lives. We live and we breathe to declare the sovereignty of God. And our hope is not in the things in this world, but in things eternal. Amen? Our purpose is not to litigate the world's disputes. Our purpose is to share the hope that lives in us. Amen? Your calling is to reach the lost with the gospel. And it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum that they come from. Lost souls must be saved. Hell is real. Judgment is certain. And time is short. Pastor said that this morning. Time is short. And what the world needs is a church that has its eye on the prize that recognizes its purpose. The world needs to see in you an ambassador of, from heaven who will boldly declare that in spite of it all, we have something to rejoice about no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what the chaos is, no matter what the politics are, our God still reigns. Amen? I'm not telling you to disconnect from political conversations that will doubtlessly grip this nation this upcoming year, but what I am telling you is don't let it overshadow the light of the hope that shines within you. Darkness will try to have its way in our world, and what our world needs is a church that shines with a bright light of hope, a beacon in the night, a church that is founded on things eternal and not governed by the temporary. We need to speak hope, speak peace, 
and speak truth in love. Amen? The next thing Paul tells us is how we do this. We have to follow certain things. He says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. The same energy when I threw the grenade out and you guys took off is the same energy that you follow these things. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. All those things. The same intensity. Brother Holman's going to sprint just as fast back in here to follow those things. Amen. I know you will. It's not a temporary pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. Paul says the first thing we are to pursue is righteousness and godliness. Righteousness is how we live in respect to other people. Let your conversations be righteous. Let your actions be righteous. Let your judgments be righteous. Be fair and upright in all your dealings, and don't let the attitude of this world become your attitude. Handle yourself in all things with righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thirst. Out in a desert, no water. Thirst. You're looking for what? You're thirsting for it. It's the same idea. 2 Timothy 2 and 22, we read this before. Let's read it again. Flee all useful lusts. It's the second part. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Titus 2 and 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And finally, in 1 John 3 and 10, it says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What I find really interesting about these verses is that Paul is framing this word righteousness with thirst, pursue, live, practice. The word righteousness is preceded by a verb. And verbs mean action. Verbs can denote obedience. We need to do something to righteousness. We need to follow after or pursue it. Then Paul tells us to follow after godliness. Godliness is how we live in respect to God. He is saying live a godly life. Let your attitude reflect godliness. Let your conversation be characterized by godliness. Let everything about you be marked by the fact that you and you and you and you are a child of God. That's what people should see in you when they talk to you. Mm. Both righteousness and godliness are observable characteristics. They are not merely inward things, but they are outward things. They are the evidence of what your life produces. Righteousness and godliness go together. They enhance one another, and together 
they allow the light of truth to shine through your life. When you have righteousness in your dealings with others and godliness that flows from your relationship with God, watch what happens here. Your life will be characterized by faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Paul is saying to Timothy, let all your conversations be tempered with these things. Faith first, add a little dose of uh, love, and patience and gentleness will always follow those two. Amen? Number three, fight. In light of the command to flee and to follow after righteousness and godliness with love, patience, and gentleness, the next command may at first seem somewhat out of place. Paul says, fight the good faith. Fight. I'm sorry. Lots of Fs. Fight the good fight of faith. Hopefully I can say this better. In Greek, agonazu ton kalon agona. I sensed maybe a little Asian twang in that. I don't know if that was completely Greek. But we are commanded to fight. Now, you might say, but I just thought you said to stay out of fights and let my light shine. I did, but Paul reminds Timothy that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Come on. A lot of times we get in arguments with people, and it is this you got to understand there's a spirit behind whatever's taking place. Our battle is not with men. It's, it's a spiritual war that we're fighting. Can I get an amen? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Thank you, Jesus. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then, of course, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole, not part, not 50%, not three quarters, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle again against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We are in that evil day. The world needs a fighting church. Not one that fights with rhetoric and sarcasm, but one that fights the good fight of faith. The world needs men and women of God who are willing to go to their knees and contend, not for political success, but for the hearts and souls of those that are out there that are lost. Men and women who realize that the only thing that will stem the tide of darkness in our world is a praying church that earnestly contends for the faith. The language here for fight, the good fight, is interesting. The word fight suggests a voluntary athletic agony, the kind that takes place in an endurance sport like distance running, 
Now, I know some of you had been in part of this connect group that went jogging. You guys only did like one mile, two miles, three miles, four, five, three. That's impressive. So when I was in high school, I ran cross country. <clears throat> and um, I remember the coach would say to, would say to us, um, he would say, you would start running, and you're going to reach a place in your running where your mind says, you can't do this anymore. You're done. You, you, just, you can't go any further. But somehow, you keep running. You just keep going. And pretty soon, your lungs are burning. Sister Becky's nodding her head. And your feet are heavy. Then you will reach deep within, and through the agony of it all, you will find another gear and run faster, increasing the tempo as the finish line draws near. Now, my coach told me that. I never experienced it. Some other people did. Maybe I wasn't a true believer. When my lungs were burning, my feet were heavy, I was done. <laughs> Time to rest. And now you can get back up. But that's very much Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, don't ever forget who you are. You are an ambassador of heaven. Your purpose is to declare a living God to a dead world. That's the fight that you fight. And that is a fight that you can never, ever give up on. When everything looks hopeless, fight on. When it seems like you're not reaching anyone, fight on. When you're ready to just throw in the towel and quit, fight on. Reach down through the agony of it all and find another gear and keep fighting the good fight. Why? Because the hope of the whole world is Christ in you. Let me tell you something. This world won't find peace in political solutions. This world won't find hope in partisan politics. There's nothing in this world that can fix the broken heart or heal the wounded soul. The remedy for that, my friend, lives inside of you. That is why it's critical that we fight the good fight. Last one, fasten a hold of. Paul's final command is to lay hold on eternal life. With everything that's going on, Paul tells Timothy, you can't afford to neglect your soul. You can't afford to lose sight. You can't lose sight of your own spiritual well-being. In another place, Paul reminds Timothy that he is a soldier for the Lord and admonishes him in 2 Timothy 2 and 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. This is the same message. Don't get so caught up in the affairs and cares of this life that you lose sight of eternity. Your goal, above all else, is to lay hold on eternal life, to run the race to the very end. To the very end. You must safeguard your own spirituality. You must maintain your daily walk with God. No matter how chaotic life gets, no matter how demanding the affairs and cares of life are, you must 
You must fasten a hold on eternal life and determine with all that is in you that nothing, nothing, nothing in this world is worth missing heaven. Nothing. There is nothing. You are to declare the coming of the king. Don't stop your prayer life. Don't stop being in the word. That's what gets you through every single day. You heard pastor preach on that this morning. I can't say that enough. The term lay hold is a particularly strong term. It literally means take hold of, grasp, sometimes with violence. It is the word that is used when Peter begins to sink in the water when he's walking out to Jesus. That word that's used, it's not, you know, Jesus standing on the water just kind of fishing around for wherever Peter went. No, he grabs him and yanks him up forcefully. That's the word lay hold of. Lay hold of. You need to be in the Word and you need to be on your knees every single day. Lay hold of your eternal life. Don't push it aside for whatever's going on in this world. Can I get an amen? Mm. So let me summarize here. The question is, in light of all that's going on in our world, how do we conduct ourselves? What is our role and responsibility in the current situation? And Paul gives Timothy a four-part answer. First, flee from the mudslinging, the name-calling. Emotions may run high, but don't let your words run high. Remember your purpose. You are here to declare the coming of the king. Secondly, follow after righteousness and godliness in everything that you do. Let all your actions and conversations be marked by faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Third, fight earnestly for the faith. They say that wise men pick their battles. Your battle is not with flesh and blood. Your battle is against principalities and powers, and you do that on your knees every single day. Paul said to agonize. Let me tell you what this world needs right now. It needs a church that will agonize, right? That will pray and come against everything that's going on out there right now. It needs a church that will agonize. Mm. Not just pundits that will talk about it, but warriors, spiritual warriors who will earnestly contend with the darkness that is closing in. And finally, Paul said, fasten a hold on eternal life. Grab it with everything that you have. And no matter what, don't ever, ever, ever let go. Because this world isn't going to last. Eventually, everything's going to burn, right? How many times do we hear that? It's all going to burn in the end. Yeah, it is all going to burn in the end. Don't get attached to the things of this world. The only thing that matters is life eternal. This is how we live. Why don't you stand? We are called to do exactly what James Garfield did on that terrible day when Lincoln was assassinated. Stand and declare to all those who would listen, the Lord reigns. 
I said, the Lord reigns. And the earth rejoices. The Lord reigns. Our confidence is in things eternal. We put our faith in things that we cannot see. The world may shake, but we are standing on that rock that cannot be shaken. Tonight, I want to admonish you to live above reproach in the coming days and weeks, and even into this next year, and to share your witness with a world that desperately needs to hear the truth of the gospel message. Jesus Christ is king. Amen? Jesus Christ is king. And his kingdom is established for all time. Our Lord reigns. There is coming a day when he will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. From now to then, we need to stand in faith and declare to the world that the Lord reigns. Amen. And let the whole earth rejoice. Time is short. It's our time. It's the church's time. This is where we rise above it all. and We make our mark. So I'm going to open this altar tonight and I'm going to invite you to come forward. Whatever's on your heart tonight, you can lay it at this altar and talk to the Lord. If you don't have anything, come to this altar and commit to Him. I'm yours, Jesus. Nothing's going to stop that. I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down on my prayer time. I'm going to double down on my time in the Word. I'm going to live righteously. My language is going to be godly. I'm going to be an example. I'm going to flee those things that I don't need to go anywhere near. And I'm going to follow those things which you tell me to follow, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence in here, God. I pray over this assembly right now, Lord God. God, help us to step up as warriors, God, for your cause, God. Help us to remember those things that are eternal. Help us to lay down those things that are temporal. God, we want to be your warriors in a dark world. Help us, God. Help us in Jesus' name. I come, Jesus, I